Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. begin our time of uh, hearing the word and the message, uh, we're going to watch a video first. And this video is going to provide an illustration for uh, how I want to work and try to bring forward the image that I see in our scripture that we can have a way to understand it. So take a moment, let's breathe, and let us consider the message that comes through this video. And uh, it's quite powerful, so enjoy. exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years. That the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park. And despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. 
bears fed in it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. But here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the season of Pentecost. It is Pentecost Sunday. Our liturgical calendar, if you don't know how it works, it begins at the season of Advent. So right around the end of November, beginning of December, we get into Advent, and so we tell the story leading up to Christ's birth, and then we tell of Christ's life until we come to Lent, which comes through the mission of Jesus Christ leading us to the crucifixion, and then we have the season of Easter, and so last week was our last and final week of Easter. And so what happens in that first half of the year is Christ is foretold, comes, lives, dies, resurrects, and then leaves. And so Pentecost is the second half of the year. And so today marks the day when after Christ left, Christ brings us the Holy Spirit and empowers the church and so while the first half of the year was the mission of Jesus Christ, the second half of the year is the mission of the church, now empowered by God through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within us. And so this is strange talk. If, if you're new to this faith, uh, it, it's a lot of strange images to try to understand the spirit within us and what does that mean and what does it feel like and how does it work? And so Pentecost is a time when we celebrate the birthday of the church. We became the church. We became the body of Christ with the very spirit of God within us the same way that it was within Christ. And the church's mission began 2,000 years ago. And we're still committed to this mission, this life-giving, wonderful, beautiful, challenging, risky charge, this witness of faith. And so we celebrate. We celebrate the receiving of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. We have the helper, the advocate. We have God's presence. And we're going to tell a story today, not of Acts 2, which if you haven't heard that story, I'd be surprised, but go read Acts chapter 2. That's when the, the gospel account author that we call Luke uh, writes in Acts about the Spirit coming upon the disciples but we're going to use the gospel account of John and talk about something that Jesus said that foretold that helps us understand what the gift of the Spirit 
means and how it fulfills Old Testament uh, visions and dreams, what we would call prophecy. And so it's from Ezekiel chapter 47. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through this, this section in Ezekiel because Jesus alludes to it at a festival that is using a ritual that has Ezekiel in mind. And Jesus reinterprets what's happening at the festival to the, for him to be the source of the fulfillment of what Ezekiel envisioned. And then by understanding how Jesus fulfilled that in this water language, we then can start to understand what that means for us, what we have received through Jesus, and what it is the world is to receive through us. And so the video that you watched before this is called, uh, it's about the wolves being released in a park. And they released the wolves, and they knew of some ways the wolves would impact what's happening. But there was no idea of how far the impact would go. Even human beings who manipulated the situation by putting wolves in a place that they weren't, even they did not foresee what would happen. And so the wolves certainly had no idea what might happen. They weren't even thinking in that way. And I want to compare us a bit to those wolves because sometimes in this faith, we can get caught up in the motions and, and not really take our charge and do our part because some later interpretations and understandings of our faith have made it just about what happens in us. But that's not the purpose of our faith. And so as the wolves are introduced and they're just asked to be wolves and they end up changing the very world around them, I want to compare that to how we are unleashed in the world in a new way to just be who we're called to be and that God works to change the world through us in a way that we can't picture and understand or anticipate, but we can be confident in nonetheless. So, are you ready? Ezekiel 47. This section of Ezekiel, the latter half of the prophet's writing, is envisioning the future. Ezekiel's talking to Israel who has been exiled, who is feeling pretty beat up and pretty hopeless. And so the first half is him kind of telling them why they are where they are and kind of pointing the finger of judgment at them through God's leading. But then the latter half is this vision of a renewed Israel, a promise that the people can have a great hope even amidst their stress and their trauma. So we are familiar with one that we read a few weeks ago back uh, when Ezekiel's in the Valley of Dry Bones and envisions the people being brought back together, being given life and awaiting the breath of the very Spirit of God. And you see why this is tied with Pentecost. But later in the vision, Ezekiel not only sees the people brought back together, but sees the land and sees Jerusalem. And here in 47 comes back to the temple. Now, real quick, the temple is everything in this Jewish faith in the day of Ezekiel and in the day of Jesus. The temple is where God exists. It's where heaven and earth meet. They are one. God is in the temple. The original promise was God would be in the tabernacle with Moses. They built a tabernacle and they would take it down and they would move and they'd reassemble it and God would be with them. Then they'd take it down and they'd move, they'd reassemble it, God would be with them. God goes wherever the people go. Well, then they'd set it up in Jerusalem. 
It became part of their goal to put the very presence of God in a fixed place, which wasn't the original plan for God, but God entered it nonetheless. But then through the destruction, through the exile, the temple's gone. And so the people are wondering, is God still with us? So Ezekiel gives them a vision of the temple being rebuilt. And in this passage, God coming back to be with them in the temple. And that would conclude to the end their actual exile because they're back with their God and their city as a people. And this is the image we're given. 47 verses 1 through 12. When he brought me back to the temple's entrance, I noticed that water was flowing toward the east from under the temple's threshold. The temple faced east. The water was going out from under the temple's facade toward the south, south of the altar, which sat in front. He led me out through the north gate around the outside to the outer east gate where the water flowed out under the facade on the south side. With the line in his hand, the man went out toward the east. When he measured off 1,500 feet, he made me cross the water. It was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet and made me cross the water. It was knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet and made me cross the water, and it was waist high. When he measured off another 1,500 feet, it had become a river that I couldn't cross. The water was high, deep enough for swimming, but too high to cross. He said to me, Human one, do you see? Then he led me back to the edge of the river. When I went back, I saw very many trees on both banks of the river. He said to me, These waters go out to the eastern region, flow down the steep slopes, and go into the Dead Sea. When the flowing waters enter the sea, its water becomes fresh. Wherever the river flows, every living thing that moves will thrive. There will be great schools of fish, because when these waters enter the sea, it will be fresh. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. People will stand fishing beside it. From Angadi to Angalium, and it will become a place for spreading nets. It will be like the Mediterranean Sea, having all kinds of fish in it. Its marshes and swamps won't be made fresh. They are left for salt. But on both banks of the river will grow up all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. Their leaves won't wither, and their fruitfulness won't wane. They will produce fruit in every month because their water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for eating, their leaves for healing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The image we find here is quite remarkable. In Israel, if you haven't gone, if you, if you haven't seen Judea, where Jerusalem is, going around that whole area, it's very rocky, and there's really not any lush land. You can't grow much there. And as you head south toward the Dead Sea, it just becomes more desolate, more dry, more uninhabitable. You can easily become dehydrated in this area. There's no life. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in it, because so much salt is in the water and nothing can live. In the image, we find that not only the temple's restored, not only the people, but all of Israel, the land, the lifeblood, is all not only restored, but taken to whole new heights of life. The water flows out, this living water, the presence of God, the life of God flows out 
until it becomes very deep and waters the whole land. And out of this dry, parched land where life did not exist, suddenly it is booming with life and everything that lives can live there and thrive. It's quite an image. There will be no off months. There won't be seasons like there are now in Israel like we experience here where there are seasons where nothing grows. No, when God is there, the fruitfulness will not wane. Every month will be good for growing. The fruit will be good for eating and the leaves for healing. This is an image carried right through to Revelation. Revelation pictures the the new earth being established with the new city Jerusalem and this river flowing out and trees growing that produce fruit and produce healing. This is what the presence of God does, produces fruit and life and thriving and healing. This is the image given to Israel who's been exiled. And so we're given this this incredible image, and this is what Jesus draws upon in our passage from John 7. So I know you've you've taken in a lot, and I'm, I'm proud of you if you're still with me. If you haven't fallen asleep, I thank you, and we're gonna keep going. So there's a whole festival that celebrates the tabernacle. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, where they celebrate God coming to be with them. And so they've rebuilt the temple in Jesus' day. Herod has rebuilt it. It's not completely finished yet. It won't be completely finished till after Jesus dies and leaves, but it is being rebuilt. And so the people are now looking back to these ancient images of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel and Zechariah, and they're waiting for God's presence to come and be with them again. And in the symbolism of water to then empower the people and be present with the people so that they not only live, they thrive and they never have a season of death again. So they're waiting. And so it's a week long celebration. And in the middle days, there's a particular rituals that they do, the priests. And on the seventh day, the last day, what they call the great day, the priests march down to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem and they get water from the pool and they bring it back to the temple and they pour it around the altar. They pour the water around to evoke the images of Ezekiel, to evoke the image of God with the Israelite people in the wilderness. Prior to the tabernacle, God was with them and and made living water flow forth from the rock when Moses struck it. It's all in Exodus. They bring all this imagery together as a way to remember the past, but more importantly, to look to the future and celebrate the coming of God, the great hope. And it's on this great day, probably when they're doing this ritual, that the scene comes to us in John 7. So close your eyes and imagine hundreds, thousands of people gathered around, trying to squeeze through and and watch what's happening. The priests have come through the crowd with the water going to the altar and they are pouring water around the altar which lies just outside of the temple. So they're putting the water on the ground, pouring it in a circle and as they're pouring it, as the bustle of the crowd and the moment of pinnacle of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles that's been going for seven days, you hear a voice amidst the crowd. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the festival, the great final celebration, Jesus stood up and shouted, 
If anybody's thirsty, they should come to me and have a drink. Anyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart, just like the scripture says. He said this about the Spirit, which people who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit wasn't available yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus stands up in this great moment of looking forward and announces that he is the living water and that if you come to him, you can drink, receive the life, the thriving, the ongoing life that knows of no death. You can receive it from him. And not only that, but by coming and receiving from him, believing in him, the very river, the eternal flowing of living water will bubble forth from you and will pour out of the core of who you are, what they call the heart. It will come out of you. And why? To bring life to everything around you that has no life. To offer the living water of the Spirit to everyone who is thirsty. Because when we come to the water with our thirst, we receive all we need. And then we are charged in this season of Pentecost to go to the people and to invite them to come and receive from what we have received. Not only have we received drink, we've become the source of drink for others through the Holy Spirit. And so the great vision is that we are the temple that's been established by God. We, the church, have been established by God and out of us is coming the spirit, the great river of living water, which goes well beyond the place where we might think everything comes together, goes well beyond where we begin our life and goes, only gets deeper the further that we go into this faith until it brings life and brings thriving to everything. We are invited into this, my friends. The first half of the year tells of Jesus' mission, which was finished. And then Pentecost begins our mission until at the end of the liturgical season, the last Sunday before we begin all over again, the last one is called Christ the King Sunday. And so we are working our way until Christ is not only king of heaven and earth now, but of everybody What a vision and what a hope that we have that begins on this day. It's intimidating to think about the political climate which we are in right now. This is not the most divisive climate that there's ever been. I mean, we've seen this before. I haven't, it's before my time, um, but some of you have seen this before, right? We're in this time when there's so much finger pointing and anger and blame and yelling and accusation. And this week we've had innocent people killed by the people that we trust and everyone deciphering meaning and implications out of that and everyone having something to say about it and everyone trying to talk louder than the next person. Everyone offering a source of this is the truth and this is what you need to know and this is what you should do and this is where you should get what it is we're seeking. 
Everyone has an idea of how the world should look. You do, I do, and then everybody else. And very few of them are the same as everyone else's. Amen? If we're honest, even who you might be sitting next to right now, you have a little different version of what the world should or will look like. That's part of being human. We love to take that fruit from the tree, the tree that says that we can know all good and evil, that we can be the judges, that we can have all the knowledge and make all the decisions and not leave it up to God. We all really like to take of that. We look at Pentecost and we can become intimidated. How, what do I do? What do I say? In the midst of all the craziness going on, should I just ignore it? Should I just not get involved? Should I get involved and, and how? Should I say anything? Should I do anything? And suddenly we find ourselves maybe like a wolf placed at a park and we start having the wrong kind of conversation with ourselves. Imagine the wolf looking and saying, I feel like I'm supposed to change the river. I have no idea how to do that. We don't find the wolves doing that. Wolves, they just are wolves. And everything happens from there, from them to deer, to trees, to birds, to mice, to hawks, and badgers, and bears, oh my, <laughs> and to the river itself changing. The whole world changed from them being who they were made to be. Who are we made to be? We may have different ideas of that too, but let me offer you what we find in the scripture. We are the temple. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we say yes to this life of faith, we're saying yes to the charge of not only receiving the spirit and the life that it brings to us right here and now to be a part of God's will and way to say that God's in charge before anyone and before everyone else, that we are part of God's kingdom and reign right here and now. We receive all the life that comes from that, but that demands something from us. We are now supposed to live our lives as if God's actually in charge, as if God's reign is upon earth, and as if we are people who have devoted ourselves to the way and reign of God. Now you may say, I, I, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I'm empowered enough. I have what it takes. Well, we take care of that, don't we? Because we're given the Holy Spirit, which empowers us. Who empowers us to be what we need to be? Not only that, but to be who we were created to be. Way back in Genesis 1, we were made in the image of God. We were then supposed to take care of the earth, that God would rule through us. That was the point all along. That is the point now. Jesus came to do what needed to be done, to wipe our hearts clean, and then to give us the spirit to fill our hearts that we become a flowing river of water. Not to just keep it to ourselves, not to just think what a great life this is and I'll just go on to whatever it is I wanna do for myself today. No, the whole point was that we open up like a floodgate and we flood the land with God's goodness and life until everybody, everybody thrives. Until everybody thrives. I'll say it one more time. Until everyone thrives. Now we can't do that all by ourselves. We can't even envision what that looks like. And my friends, we don't have to. We don't have to. Any more than the wolves had to envision how to change the rivers, we do not have to envision how to change the world. We simply need to be
who we were created to be through the empowering and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit longs to ignite you, to lead you forward. And when you start yielding yourself to the Spirit, your very heart, who you are, everything around you and about you starts to be produced all on its own because that's how it works. The fruit of the Spirit found in the fifth chapter to Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And we find in verses 22-23, the fruit of the Spirit, that from the Spirit come things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That just comes. We don't try to be loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and, and those things and think that that's how we gain the Spirit. That's the wrong way to think of it. We receive the Spirit. We yield ourselves. We put the fruit from the, from the tree in Genesis. We put it away and instead simply drink. We pray. We commune together. We read scripture together so that we can start to hear what was said to people so long ago to help us understand how it can speak to our lives today through this life of being spiritually disciplined and committed to God as king. We start finding that our lives change through the bubbling spring and fountain and river that roars within our hearts. And then we simply go into our world and we just be what we were called to be. Servants, loving God, loving our neighbors, doing to them what we would want to have done to us, not worrying, not judging, not resisting with with arms and violence and mind, not seeking justice as we would define it, but rather living into this new way of life laid out in Matthew 5 through 7. This way of life that is about the thriving of everyone. So when we enter into a conversation with someone, we let the Spirit's presence come out of us like a river of life to nurture and quench the thirst of the person that we are speaking to. Sometimes that means we bite our tongue and wait till we understand what is needed, not what we want. Sometimes what's needed is for us to listen. That can be an incredible way to give life to someone is simply to listen and hear them and then to offer hope as we have been given it through the Spirit. And don't worry about what you need to say. The Spirit is with you. You'll find what you need when you need it. And my friends, this community needs us. This community needs us. I find that just a few blocks from here, is a very different world from what's just right around the parsonage in our house. It's a different world. There are things happening just down the street that are very sad and heartbreaking and scary and dangerous and risky. So how do we change that? How do we change the landscape of our world? By being who we were called to be, sources of God's love, giving ourselves to the Spirit, letting the life flow out of us, trusting that God is going to help us work all of that and through so many other ways and so many impacts that come through our loving kindness that 
Before we know it, the very course of the world around us is altered. What a gift we are given with the Holy Spirit. My friends, let the Spirit guide you. In the moment where you're overcome with what's happening in our world, what's happening in headlines, when you're overcome by being forced to stay at home or whether you should or shouldn't wear a mask or what you should or shouldn't have to say about what's happening in Minnesota, my friends, just lean upon the Spirit. Lean upon the Spirit first and foremost. Envision the world that we have been given a glimpse of where everything thrives, where we are called to simply let the Spirit work in us through our voice, through our decisions and actions, and trust that God will use it for good. Let us celebrate Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the great gift and charge that we've been given as the body of Christ, and let us do it together. Let us start to ask questions about who is it that we were made to be in this community today? And how can I get my ego out of the way? How can I get my, my own desire to reach up and grab that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and start making judgments myself? How can I quiet that voice so that I may be the very presence of God for other people who are thirsty. What a day to celebrate Pentecost. Let us be excited. Let us enjoy the gift we've been given. And then let us start to really dig deep within ourselves and allow that water to flow out to the world around us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that we have this day. Not only the day of Pentecost, but just this day that we've been given life, that we've been given so many things that we can look to and, and recognize blessing and joy. And even the midst of suffering and, and fear, in the midst of cancers and sicknesses, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of racism, in the midst of hatred and division in the midst of all that lord you have given us this day and you are with us i thank you that you are with us lord help us to look to your presence within us and around us through your church help us to focus on the presence of jesus christ who gives our souls what we need to drink who satisfies us who quenches us, who has also provided in us the flow of everlasting life. And may we be your conduits, God. May we simply live in the world where you have placed us. May we follow the leading of your spirit to be the life-giving, creating creatures that you created us to be, made in your image, empowered with your spirit, following in the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that we are given these things and we are given the incredible opportunity to watch as the world has changed through us, far beyond our understanding, far beyond what we think we're capable of. Lord, you are good and we give you all the glory and praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, through the power and through the presence, of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.